Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake. I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Delighted to introduce our first duo on the Leadership Hacker podcast. Ian Mills and Mark Ridley are leadership development experts. They also run the international development consultancy firm Transform Performance International and have co-authored several books, most latterly The Leader's Secret Code. And as an extra special treat, we have a super giveaway today for some lucky listeners. So hang around to the end of the show and find out how you can get your hands on our special prize worth over £100. So before we get to speak with Ian and Mark, it's the Leadership Hacker News. One man's dream to spend three years sailing solo around the Pacific nearly turned into disaster after borders started closing around the region, leaving him stranded alone at sea for several months. While people around the globe were panic buying, stocking up, he was running low on food and fuel as he sailed between islands trying to find somewhere to dock. The sailor who only shared his surname, names himself as Mr Wong, set off from his home country of Singapore on the 2nd of February. It was an adventure that the 59-year-old experienced sailor had been meticulously planning for years. Everything from the exact amount of fuel he would need, weather conditions, food and places that he intended to visit. The one thing he hadn't planned on, of course, was a global pandemic. The plan was to set sail from Singapore to Polynesia, a journey that would take roughly four months in his yacht. Once there, he'd spend time exploring the region by land and by sea. He'd soon learn that even his best laid plans could go awry, especially in the face of a global pandemic. In late February, he left Indonesia en route for his next destination of Papua New Guinea, where he planned to stock up on fuel and food. But a few days in, while still in Indonesian waters, his autopilot broke. And when he tried to anchor, he was told that the lockdown had already begun, pandemic had arrived, and he was chased away. He eventually stopped at a remote island where about 20 or 30 families lived. They had no TV, no telephone, and no communication with the outside world. And they hadn't heard of a lockdown or a pandemic. As soon as he shared the news, however, they chased him off the island, and almost every stop off he could find also chased him away. He carried on sailing by the 21st of April he reached waters just outside Tuvalu, a tiny island in the Pacific Ocean. He was still about two hours from land when maritime officials who again told him he needed to leave. And despite his plea, it fell on deaf ears. But they said no. Thankfully, he soon received word that the Fiji government had agreed to take him in. And despite an horrendous experience, Mr. Wong was now safe. If we can consider the leadership and self-leadership parallels here, what might seem really counterintuitive for us all is to plan for what is completely unexpected, the crazy wildcard outcomes. So strategically, if we could be prepared when things go wrong. So as leaders, just keep asking, what if? And we could unlock some great strategic thinking. That's been the Leadership Hacking News. If you have any news, insights, or interesting stories you'd like listeners to hear, please get in touch.
Excited to be joined today by Ian Mills and Mark Ridley. They're the co-founders of Transform Performance International, and they've co-authored a number of books, the latest being The Leader's Secret Code. Ian, Mark, welcome to the Leadership Hacker podcast. Thank Thank you, Steve. You are our first duo on the show, so I'm really excited that we've got two leaders to hack into and two great brains to hack into some ideas and some thoughts today. But you guys have been a duo for a while, so I know that, that certainly from business perspective, you work together, but how did you both meet and how have you arrived here? Mark and I met some 25 years or so ago when Mark was running a team of financial advisors for a retail bank in Exeter, Devon, and I was the regional manager for that bank. And uh, I remember very well my first meeting with Mark. I planned to meet this new leader in our organization. I'd heard a lot of great things about him. I planned to take him out for lunch. And I, I, I now know that in hindsight, Mark was imagining I was going to take him out for a very nice steak and a glass of red wine. In fact, I took him to McDonald's. And I think that tells you a lot about our different perspective on motivation, uh, leadership, and the way in which you engage and build uh, successful uh, successful teams. I would say, just to, to add to that, the, um, although I pull Ian's leg remorselessly um, over the fact that he took me to McDonald's for my lunch, it's quite apposite to our conversation today, Steve, because at the end of the day, at the time, what I witnessed, and I didn't know it at the time, but what I was witnessing was a belief system from Ian in a style of leadership around focus and uh, practicality and, you know, just getting things done. Whereas I wanted to spend more time and be more affiliative and get to know this person. So the image of two guys sitting in pinstripe suits somewhere in deep as dark as Devon, surrounded by kids on half-term holiday, trying to eat a burger on our first meeting in polite company. Um, you can imagine that for me, that was anathema. And for Ian, it was just business as usual. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a real interesting way in which we often think about our behaviors and our beliefs. Um, we think they're okay, but others perceive them very different. It just goes to show, doesn't it, Mark, that people have a different lens from a, which they look through. And as leaders, we need to be really aware of that. Now, Transform Performance International, just give us a little bit of a summary as to what you currently do and how you currently help your clients. Transform Performance International is a performance enhancement consultancy. We work with famous name organizations all over the world. In fact, we worked in some 50 or so countries for organizations like HP, Cisco, Deloitte, American Express, uh, Maersk, um, and many more to help them predominantly through people uh, change the way they perform. That might mean changing behaviors. It might mean changing a culture. It might mean changing the way the organization engages with their customers. And it might mean changing the way they lead in a VUCA world, a volatile and certain complex and ambiguous world. Having learned from many, many of your clients and indeed working with each other, you've penned a number of books together, the most recent being The Leader's Secret Code. What was the inspiration for the book? The inspiration for the book was, um, or indeed the catalyst for the book, was the fact that I'm a member of a group in London called the Entrepreneurs Exchange. I meet with small, intimate groups of entrepreneurs over dinner, and typically you hear one of them sharing their story. One of the things that I found over a number of years is that whilst this group was not in my target market for my for my business, I found their stories inspirational, intriguing, and beautifully 
articulated. And on reflection one evening, I thought, if only I could bottle the magic of the way in which they share their success story, that would be worth a lot of money. And I remember phoning Mark and saying, Mark, I have the title of the book. And the title of the book is The Entrepreneur's Secret Code. And we just need to get on and, and, and write it. Well, that started a, a dialogue around, well, should we really write about entrepreneurs? And in fact, we actually started research into selling. And the reason we did that is we believe that everybody sells. Uh, whether you're a leader trying to influence your organization or whether you're a parent trying to influence your children to go to bed on time, or frankly, whether you are a salesperson or indeed an entrepreneur seeking to grow a, a, a business. So that was our first book. Um, it's, it's almost, I guess, an obvious obvious move to then consider how do we then do research into leadership and share the findings in a similar book. And that book became the leader's secret code that we're here to share with you. And I'm guessing that having that foundation in research and academia removes some ambiguity away from where people might apply their own thinking in their own lenses. Is that right? What we've learned about research is 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 really quite fantastic, Steve. You know, if anybody out there is thinking about doing this for themselves, I'd really urge them to give it a go. But do um, absolutely take your idea and and then and then work with somebody who's got that experience of doing the research, because the the whole thing will be enriched. It really has been excellent. And Mark, your book's been described when you read it as a bit like dipping into a box of your favourite chocolates, which sounds absolutely delicious. How does it make it so tactile for readers to dip into understanding how they go about the secret code? Well, that was that was a massive compliment. And on what, I, I, was, I was really gratified to read it. It's a great question because I think it goes to the heart of the philosophy that we have when we Whenever we interact with people in business, um, no matter what what project we're on, the, the metaphor of the chocolates I think is all around the different flavours. Everyone will have their favourite chocolate. You know, I I know in the old quality street, I like the hard caramel. And they took it out. So all of those kind of things will will resonate with people when they look into a book. We deliberately did not write a book that you could literally open at the first page and feel that you had to work your way through it. You know, I'm sort of going to sound like I'm a poacher turned gamekeeper, but I, I've never been a particular fan of business books. I've always used them as a, as a reference point, but I've, never, I've rarely read a book cover to cover. And I was acutely aware, even when we wrote The Salesperson Secret Code, that what we wanted was a, this, this, these different flavors and different chapters, different ideas, you know, to mix our metaphors, a sort of a smorgasbord of different things to tempt you rather than to have to wade your way through something that was turgid from page one right through to page, you know, 155 or whatever. And that's the appeal, I guess, for, for those people who, who love to read from cover to cover. They can do that. My learning style is fairly similar, Mark. And having read your book, what I found myself being able to do is just to dip in and, you know, and also re-reference some of those things when I was particularly looking at some of the things I was working on, too. So I, I can I can resonate with that for sure. Well, the, the, every chapter is written in a, in a particular way that even when you read the body of the chapter, there's hints and tips on the psychology that we've applied. There's little reference points. There's little stories that people can dip into. So we've attempted to address every learning style, even in every chapter. You could read each chapter once a month and still get something from it. 
And those iconic leader stories I thought were great, by the way. And maybe we could just kick around a couple of those. So I read something that you'd captured from Michael Tobin, who was an OBE, who ended up taking his team bobsleighing to help them understand their approach. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Um, Michael Tobin or Mike Tobin is you know, one of the iconic leaders that we profiled in, in, in the book. Anyone who reads the book will find out that, yes, we have data based on a thousand leaders, but we decided to profile a number of uh, what we call iconic leaders who display many of the attributes that the research suggests sets top performing leaders apart. Mike Tobin is, is, is one of them. One of the things that he does that is, is particularly impressive is he uses metaphor as a mechanism to uh, convey a message to leadership teams around the change that that he, he, he desires. So a good example of that is that one of his frustrations when he was running a public, a public company was that his sales organization seemed to have a frenzy around the quarter end and hitting the sales targets. And he wanted to change their mindset. So one of the things that he did is he took them to an Olympic bobsleigh run. This is the sales leadership team. And the reason for that is that if you push harder at the beginning, you go faster at the end. And what he wanted the leaders to do is to recalibrate the way they lead their teams when he got back to their operations uh, headquartered in the UK. And in fact, one of the things that sets him apart, I think, is his his creativity, his innovation, his different way of looking at things. I've already shared the bobsleigh story. Another another example is that he had a an executive leadership team that, in his opinion, lacked the bravery to take the business to the to the next stage. And what he chose to do was to take that executive team swimming with sharks. And the reason he did that is that he believed that they would learn what it is like to face fear and they would be able to translate those behaviors back into the workplace. And, and of course, as you can probably imagine, there is nothing quite as scary as facing off to real sharks under the water. So it should be relatively easy to face the challenges and the struggles that they may be facing in the business environment. And for those leaders who've got that cyclical business, for me, when I read that, it was just a great metaphor. But not only is it a metaphor you can visualize, how wonderful would it be to create an experiential metaphor so people can really make that connection? And I think that's the difference between what Mike Tobing did and what others may have said and done. You have a number of iconic leader stories in The Secret Code. Of your uh, number of stories you have, do you have a favorite? One of the leaders that we profiled that I particularly enjoyed the conversation with was James Knight. Uh, James at the time was a major in the Royal Marines. He has a military cross, which I think says something about his, his achievements. And James is unlike what many of us might imagine a military leader to be like, you know, which before I met James, you know, I imagined it to be quite a command and control, quite a structured, 
dictatorial type approach. Whereas what I find with James is a very sophisticated, very curious, very empathetic, very engaging leader. One of the things that he said to me, or one of the quotes that he gave me that I said uh, that I feel says an awful lot about James, is he said to me, Ian, be interested, not interesting. And that's a good example of a belief that he holds that causes him to behave in a way that is congruent with that belief. And a belief, of course, that we might have is that people from an autocratic military background come with that set of rules and disciplines. And in my experience of having worked with some military leaders, it's quite often they're contrarian to what we might perceive. You know, they, de- they have got that ability to be different and to be curious and be very entrepreneurial, even though they have to follow strict guidelines and rules and routines. Mark, you've managed to pull together your beliefs into what you refer to now as destination beliefs. And that helps people kind of focus on the key characteristics and behaviors required in order to to, uh, tap into the leader's secret code. Can you just maybe, for the listeners, just share a seven destination beliefs are? Sure. Okay, let me just briefly explain what I mean by a destination belief. You will imagine that when we asked, well, over a thousand leaders for the research and a lot more since, When we ask leaders about their views of leadership, you will get repeat patterns. Um, They will use maybe different language structure to describe those beliefs, but nevertheless, they will coalesce into into groupings of of beliefs. And we we bring those together almost almost into a set of of values, if you like. But, But those are what the seven destination beliefs are. And the reason we gave them the destination epithet Steve was very simply because what we realized very early on when we were writing the first book is that even if they don't realize it, those core beliefs are are guiding them, are helping them navigate the way through what is is often known, go back to the military expression, as a very uh, devoucad world, as we call it, um, you know, disrupted, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, and so on and so forth. And that, that, that is why we decided that we'd, we'd, we'd use this expression, destination beliefs, seven core beliefs that we observed in practically every leader that we, that we spoke to. And, and they are, in no particular order, the first one is around control. And the destination be- beliefs that we, that we got so often when we spoke to leaders was that, well, control matters as you might expect in a leader, but someone has to be accountable for success. Someone has to be accountable for that success. So that was control. The um, the next belief, destination belief, was resilience. And that was really around this idea that I can withstand pressure, but the point that Ian was making a moment ago, I can withstand pressure and I can spring back into, into the shape uh, that I want. It may not be the same shape as I was before the pressure, but nevertheless, I can I I can do that. And that that was the sort of overarching resilience view. The next one was was about influence. Practically every leader we spoke to talked about the need to be able to influence the right way. Again, you you would you would be surprised if they, if it wasn't that way. But the the way we defined it was how I make things happen through other people. And that was important. It's not how I make things happen. It was how I make things happen through others. Then the, the 
the next uh, belief was around communication. I mean, influence and communication almost go hand in hand. But, but the belief there was quite simple, that every leader we spoke to understood the importance of the way, the manner and style of communication up and down the organization, not only with their immediate teams, however, but with wider stakeholders and audiences, perhaps that are external to the business. In other words, they were always aware of the way in which they came across to, to other people. So that was around communication. And then we came on to strategy. Every leader we spoke to talked about the importance of having a big picture view. And we were very interested into how they came about getting that, that view. And, and so the belief is very simply that everybody in an organization has to understand what the organization's goals are, how the organization is, is positioning itself, and how it will best utilize its resources in order to achieve its goals. So that was the, the fundamental destination belief around strategy. The next belief was around empowerment. And this is often an overused expression. You know, you, I can hear people sort of hearing the word empowerment and sort of metaphorically rolling, the rolling of the eyes takes place. But what was really interesting was that of the successful leaders we spoke to, and the especially the iconics, the concept of empowerment was never far from the conversation. And the destination belief there was that my role is to enable my people to feel empowered, to take the right actions and to be the best that uh, they can they can be. Uh, fulfillment was the final destination belief. So many of the leaders talked about desire to reflect, and we might come on to that later on, reflect on success or not, as the case may be. And we chose a simple mantra that when we are successful, we will probably feel fulfillment. May not be everything, but when we are successful, we'll probably feel fulfillment. Again, we'll probably explore how people get to that feeling of success. But the, uh, the overarching desire, destination belief was, look, I'm here to lead, but I'm here to be fulfilled for myself and probably to help others be, feel fulfilled too. That's a cook's tour, Steve. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's a great lens to look through. I really like that whole kind of principle of those destination beliefs. But of course, for the folks listening to this, there'll all be different stages of each of those destinations. Yes. And to help kind of with that thinking, you created what you refer to as journey motivators. Just tell us a little bit about how that works alongside the destination beliefs. Sure. Well, basically, when we were interviewing um, the, uh, the everybody we've ever sp spoken to in the project, and indeed, again, going back to the first book we did, we, we, we improved this methodology. We, we adopt approach, an approach of interviewing people, which is a very loose conversation. You know, we, I often describe it as a fireside chat, but as, as you'll probably be aware, uh, Steve, in our business, we do a lot of coaching. And a lot of the techniques we use around coaching is to create a, an environment where the interviewee or the coachee creates the, what we call the metaphors for their own experience. When you ask direct questions, uh, which can be very presumptive, have your own bias within them and so on and so forth, you don't always get as much out of it. So by following this semi-structured approach, sometimes it's known as clean questioning, what we, what we discovered was that, let's take control for an example. You know, um, I said a moment ago that the destination belief was all about um, someone or something being accountable for success. 
what we what we learned is that there's a spectrum of views. And you, as you rightly say, people will be at different points. At some point in your leadership journey, you may be in a situation where that control comes from a place of being quite directive. And at other times, you might, you might come at it from a, from a place where you believe that perhaps it's more important to be a little more participative and, then, and allow others to shape that direction of travel. So the idea or the concept of controlling or being participative, directing or participative, gradually forms into, into these two what we call journey motivators. The secret code, Steve, is the way in which the, the top quartile performers appear to balance those often almost opposing views, the sort of the yin and the yang, the, the sort of opposites attract kind of thing. So you've got in the center there, you've got almost what I'll call this constructive contention between two belief systems. So the leader who is all directive is likely to fail. The leader who, who is over participative is likely to lose respect. The leader who is participative, but also knows how to and when to put their foot on the gas be a bit more directive is probably the leader who is going to be the most successful. And that is the process we went through with all of, this, uh, all of the uh, seven destination beliefs to arrive at the 14 journey motivators. Super helpful to get people into that mindset to understand, you know, what their strengths and development areas are at the same time, I guess. Yes, it is. And, and at the end of the day, is a very, very brief Cook's tour of that because I know we don't have time to go through every, every one of them. With resilience, the, the idea is that Ian's already alluded to the, de the journey motivators were about working hard and working smart. With, with, with influence, there is a there is a, a manner and style which is which we came to call transactional style of influence versus transformation. I won't bore you with the detail at the moment, but with with communication, it was around unemotional and emotional communication. Strategy was very interesting. That was around going with the gut and going 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 with facts and data. Um, empowerment was around delegating with, with the right degree of authority, which we called quite unambiguous empowerment versus a very ambiguous laissez-faire kind of approach. And fulfillment was around achievement for oneself versus achievement with others in an affiliative way. So really clear and easy to follow. And Ian, I understand that as a result of the inordinate amount of research you created and your experiences, you've now taken this to another level now by kind of applying some science behind this and you're helping your clients now consider how they're approaching their leadership style using data, science, AI, using some psychometric testing. How did that come about? When we wrote the book, one of the key things that we decided to do from a business point of view is to enhance our value offering for our clients by building a set of tools and instruments that will help leaders become more like the top performing leader. So one of those tools is a psychometric instrument. That is a online self-assessment instrument where an individual will go online, they will answer approximately 100 questions. And as a consequence, we will share with them a 20-page report that will map them against the findings of the top performing uh, leaders. It will provide them with suggestions on what they might consider doing that will help them become a higher performing leader. Essentially, it is about self-reflection and provocation and insight 
to help any leader that is curious around what they might do in order to improve the way by which they perform. Having completed it myself, I found it really helpful. It also comes with suggested development ideas across each of those belief systems as well. Some of the things to help people move beyond having an opportunity to dip into the chocolate box of the secret code is that whole principle of reflective learning and then what happens next. In your reports, you have a section that says, I'm at score of 80 and it tells me that I'm more prepared to do things. How will that be helpful for me? Yeah, well, reflect, reflective learning and, and change readiness, I think are really important aspects of this. Um, you know, somebody could you know, read a book, they could read their self, their leader secret code report, they could they could have an experience with a with a with with a met with a family member, with a team member, it really doesn't matter. But that only has meaning if you actually then go away and reflect and think about, well, what did I what did I take from that? And even if you decide that you take in a sense nothing from it and and don't need to don't need to change a mindset or a behavior from it. The fact of the matter is you've gone through a process of reflection. I have to say I'm continually surprised by the number of people we work with who will say to us, I am so pleased that the way in which you've engaged with us has given that space to breathe and to think and to reflect. And I've got to say, I think at the moment, given everything that's going on in everybody's world, I think that's possibly never, never been more, more true. But most people, in my experience, um, don't go through this process of reflective learning. And it's certainly, a, in our experience, a, a mark of a, a reasonably high level of emotional intelligence when we do give ourselves that space that, and have that awareness to, to go away and reflect. But having reflected, of course, then you have to decide if you, if you want to do something different. And, even, and if, you, if you do want to do something different, are you, are you ready for that change? And again, in the work that we've done, Steve, in organizations around the world over the last 20 years, I, I was particularly passionate about getting this concept across because there is no point in throwing stuff at people, throwing new concepts, throwing ideas or whatever, if the people and the organization aren't in that state of readiness to actually make that change happen. And that may take a, you know, that might be quite a long process, but I think it's important that the climate of any organization includes this ability to say, well, we know what we want to do differently. Come on, let's have this honest conversation. Are we truly ready to do it? And what I like about this idea of change readiness is this, is this idea that when you might read your secret code report, for example, you might get a surprise and you might think, do you know what? That's, that's, that's a shock to me. I hadn't even thought about that. But that might push you into the reflective mode, but you might not yet be ready to do anything about it. On the other hand, you might read another area of the port, report and you might say, yeah, I, do you know what? That resonates with what I've already been thinking about my career or my life or my behaviors or whatever it might be. And that contemplative readiness is important too. So, you know, we're at different points of the cycle. And what we try to do with the, with, the, with, the, with the report, as Ian has already said, is to simply to provide some nudges or some provocations so that if people read their report and, and, it, and it's talking about where they are relative to other leaders, there's just some ideas there for actually taking action, which, of course, is the next stage of change readiness. You know, am I currently prepared to try on a new behavior or a mindset as a consequence of what I'm what I'm learning around me? 
Um, so there's a lot to there's a lot to change readiness and reflective learning. And I think very often, as leaders and organisations themselves, we we overlook that. We're very good at delivering stuff to people, but the way in which we implement that is very often left behind. And I think a lot of programmes of change could be a lot more successful if more thought was given to that. It's awesome. Thank you, Mark. Really appreciate that. Now, this is the part of the show where I get to hack into your minds. So I'm going to ask you for your top leadership hack that you could share with our listeners. Ian, I'm going to start with you first. Ian, what would be your top leadership hack that you could share? Well, my uh, top leadership hack, it's the first time I've been asked a question in quite that way. But I guess if it is my message for leaders, I believe that probably the, the thing that would be most transformational is to model people or model leaders who do something that you would like to be able to do. So, so don't do that in the broadest, most general way, but find leaders who are exceptional at something. That might be the way they engage people. It might be the way they present on stage. It might be the way that they empathize. Whatever that particular behavior is that you've observed, go meet them, go buy them a cup of coffee, go have a conversation with them and find out how they go about doing that, why they do that, uh, what goes on in their head. Deeply immerse yourself in what it is that they do in order that you too can copy and paste that behavior into your leadership role. And I think that's the one thing that I've seen others do that can be truly transformational in their performance. Love it. Thank you very much, Ian. Mark, your top leadership hack, what would that be? Well, it actually builds on what Ian just said. Taking what Ian said, the, the next thing for me is about being aware of the beliefs that lie behind the outcomes that you are already achieving as a leader. Because, you know, we hold a belief that behind the belief will drive a behavior and out of that behavior, you will become that whatever that belief is driving you towards. So, you know, that mantra of believe, behave, become is very crucial. So that my, my advice would be have the courage to investigate where, where your beliefs are coming from and have the courage to try on different beliefs. I often say when I'm working with leaders, and they say, well, we can't do that. And I, and I will turn around and say, well, OK, but what might it be like if you try? Because inviting people to try on different beliefs is so important. A close friend of mine who, who has taught me a lot over my career once said to me, you know, Mark, changing beliefs is very simple. What happened the day that you first discovered that Father Christmas wasn't real? But I hope there's no kids listening to this. But I, you know, the world didn't fall in. I adapted and I moved on. And my behaviors as a consequence became different. Up to that point, of course, Father Christmas was, was it around around that Christmas time. So it demonstrates to me that, that very often beliefs that we hold can be faintly ridiculous. And the willingness to, you know, take a long, hard look at ourselves and almost laugh at our beliefs, and as Ian said, model the beliefs that others hold, I think is liberating. It's about creating flexibility and leadership style. I love the principle of 
trying on a belief. I can, again, metaphorically, you can almost feel a belief like a jumper or a hat or a label that you might wear. You've got it. And, and of course, by doing so, you might bump into revelation, which is another form of how we create a belief system in the first place, isn't it? So I, n- I now know something today that I didn't know yesterday. And as a result of me trying on my belief, I might find out something new. Well, like, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the questions I often say to, to leaders is, you know, what have you learned in the last 24 hours? And, and that's exactly the point you've just made, Steve. And then the next question, of course, is, well, okay, but what could you have learned if you'd chosen to learn it? Okay. And that's often a, a bringing people up in, in short moment because you realize then that, you know, very often, again, we're too busy or we, or, we ha- or we haven't really got that flexibility of belief to actually notice what we could have learned had we been bothered to try on that different belief. Sure. I'd like to now get into what we call hack to attack. So this is where with our guests, we explore something that's gone wrong in your past, collectively in your case, maybe as a business partners or as friends and colleagues. But now as a result of it going wrong in the past, you now use that as part of your foundations to help you in what you do for your life and your work. What would be your hack to attack? You ask me what's gone wrong. Well, um, I can't think of anything of, of significance, but, you know, but of course, like any business person, there are many minor things that go wrong. You, know, you, lose, you lose a bid, you lose a client, uh, somebody leaves your organization. In my opinion, you know, business is a never-ending learning journey. That doesn't mean that you can become perfect overnight, but what it does mean is that you can begin to adjust your behavior as a consequence of your own personal experience of what has worked, what hasn't worked, what have you observed elsewhere, and what might you do differently in order to get to your desired destination. Sure. Mark, anything else for you? The, the one that's come into my mind, uh, and as you asked the question, Steve, I, I suppose it's been triggered by the, the, the fact that we started this conversation in, a, in an area of uh, where Ian and I first met. I'm going to spring this one on Ian. We made a, a little bit of an error in our, in our career many years ago with rabbits. And the reason we made the error, error with rabbits was because we used them as a rather clever marketing campaign for financial services products. And genuinely, we, we wanted to attract interest in this financial services product because there'd been a lot of issues around the regulation of this product. And it was important that customers came and talked to us about what their options were. The only problem was, Steve, that we didn't really do enough research into the situation. And we ended up being inundated with customers who thought that we were selling fluffy toys. We launched it around March time and it coincided with Easter. And people thought we were having egg races in, in, our, in our retail outlets. And it was a, shall we say, it didn't go quite according to plan. So, Ian, I, I, I to this day blame you for <laughs> signing that one off, actually. So that goes back to uh, not working with pets and animals and all the rest of it, I guess. Well, yeah. Well, it does. See, the real takeaway was we did that in a in an atmosphere of speed haste and we probably didn't take enough advice and counsel from wiser sage heads that's and i've always carried that lesson with me always ask opinions socialize ideas marion haste repent at leisure kind of approach brilliant story thanks for sharing it mark our listeners have got some real value out of listening to our guests on the show explore a little bit of time travel and that's exactly what i'm going to do with you now 
So I'm going to ask you to imagine, if you would, that you're going to do a bit of time travel and bump into your 21-year-old selves, and you have a chance to give them that one bit of sage advice. Um, Ian, what would your advice be to your 21-year-old self? Yeah, maybe the advice as I, as I look back at my 21-year-old self would be to make sure that you get a job with an organization called Google at the earliest possible moment. Open and broaden your lens towards the art of the possible. Be curious. Try and learn about the unknown or the unknown unknowns. And that will mean that you are opening yourself up to greater choice. Early adoption to new innovation, new companies that are entering the market, right? Awesome. How about you, Mark? I like that. Uh, mine's a little different. If I look back at my 21-year-old self, oh, bit of a young gun, going to set the world on fire, etc., etc. Hey, why not? We all, we all have those dreams and aspirations, and it's been a pretty fantastic life. But looking back, I think I would say to myself four words, be prepared to pause, be prepared to reflect, get better at being open, especially to ideas and thoughts that might come from sources that you would ordinarily dismiss, and then be receptive. Yeah, pause, reflect, open, receive. Super advice. Thank you so much. So. What's next for Transform Performance International? What's next for Transform Performance International? Well, in, in my opinion, and Mark may, may differ, is I think it is keep doing the same. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is organizations are continuously trying to perform better. The world, as I mentioned earlier, is a VUCA world. It's become an increasingly volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. What that means is that leaders need to think differently about how they act and how they behave and their mindset and the whole kind of perspective on what a great job looks like. So probably more than ever, organizations will need support from organizations like ours that can provide research, that can provide insight, that can provide coaching. The, the main thing that I see that will change is that, that we need to become more digital in the way in which we, are, we deliver content. So think about this session right now. This is a, a podcast. When I started my career, there was no such thing as a, as a podcast. Given right now the COVID-19 situation, where we might have been running a conference, a face-to-face event that is now being delivered virtually. So change is a constant. A need for behavior change is a constant. The way by which you deliver the the change will evolve further as we go forward. So exciting times ahead. Well done. Now, we're incredibly excited to be able to share the leader's secret code with our listeners and in a very different way. Super grateful for you gentlemen being able to provide this service today. For those listening, here's how you can get yourself a copy of the leader's secret code. Head over to our social media platform on LinkedIn. It's the Leadership Hacker podcast. You need to shout out Mark Ridley, Ian Mills, and that you've listened to the show. The first 10 will receive 
a free Transform Performance International psychometric test, which usually costs £100. So head over there now. And the first 50 will be entered into a prize draw to obtain a copy of the Leader's Secret Code, of which Transform Performance International are giving away 10. So thank you in providing that to our listeners. So if our listeners wanted to learn more about you both and indeed the work that you do as Transform Performance International, where would you like them to go? In order to contact either Mark or myself or my or my company, our website address is www.transformperformance.com. Both of us are active on LinkedIn. So again, my name is Ian Mills. My colleague is Mark Ridley. You can find us on LinkedIn. Please feel free to invite us to connect. Brilliant. And we'll make sure that we put your details, both your LinkedIn profiles and indeed your website will be in our show notes. So as soon as everybody's finished listening to this, they can head on to our website or to the podcast that they choose, click on the links and find you straight away. So I'd just like to say it's been super talking. It's been really fascinating learning about how the researchers pulled together the leader's secret code and sharing some of the secrets with us today. So thanks both Ian and Mark for joining us on the Leadership Hacker podcast. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush, and I've been the Leadership Hacker. Leadership Hacker.